In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not turn from it. Proverbs 22.6. Homeschooling is the best way to train a child because we're able to impart our wisdom and love on them every moment of the day. We don't have to share them with people who may not have the same values we do. Then, when they do start to turn their ears to their contemporaries, hopefully an inkling of what they've learned at home will remain a niggle at their consciences until finally they'll see sense and grow into upright and steadfast young citizens to make you proud. I know, every parent's dream. The good news is, loving perseverance on our part will make this a reality. The proverb writer was adamant about that. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. No ifs or maybes, lots of true that's. When the foundation is firm, God won't let anyone get away. Good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny, and I have a great show for you today. First off, I'm at my son's apartment because we lost internet in our house, so thank you, Ian, for letting me be here. Then we're going to be talking about my routines, a must for me with homeschooling, or are they? Jennifer Seiki, also known as the Infertility Mom, will be joining me to talk about how she lives with chronic pain and illness and still homeschools her children. Sandy Fowler of Heartfelt Holidays will be popping in later to talk about her brand new show on Net Radio, Mondays at noon Eastern Time. And of course, you'll be getting the latest news from the McNenny Homestead. So grab your tea and sit down. We saw spring this week, and my daffodils are beginning to poke up through the earth. The temperatures actually got back to acceptable Texas levels, and we all forgot about the ice storm and the four- and five-day school closures unheard of in Texas history. For, oh, perhaps two days this week, then it hit again on Wednesday. My barista daughter came in to say farewell at 4.55 a.m. that morning, and it was raining. By the time the college hotline called at 6.30, there was thick ice and sleet on the sleet on the ground, and everything was closed again. I had a slow, languid morning in the warmth of my bed until 8.15 when I decided to rouse myself just in case I had company for breakfast, which we did. My zookeeper was enjoying his Sunday at home. We had omelettes and sausage rolls, coffee and toast. Then I ventured out to take my oldest daughter to work because we didn't want her to risk life and limb driving on the ice. Instead, we risked two lives and limbs. And it was slippery. Driving everywhere at 20 miles an hour is refreshing, though. You see so much more along the way. I spied a coyote in one of the fields adjacent to the access road and a hawk looking out for a slow squirrel, not to mention the bright red cardinals that really show up against the snow. The sun came out while we were journeying and turned parts of the way into slush, still treacherous at the edges. On my return journey, I saw the clear blue sky and thought, really? Really? 
all this for just a few hours? But alas, no. The clouds came back and the temperature started to drop again. Only now the roads were wet. Luckily, my daughter's work closed at four, so I was able to get her before darkness fell. Now to get away from the weather, I have a slightly amusing story in an English kind of way. I have a friend, a dinner once a month or so friend. We were having dinner this week and at the appointed time, I made a stop at the grocery store on the way to her house to pick up my portion of the menu, which is always ice cream, preferably coffee, and a bottle of wine. A civilised contribution, don't you think? Actually, you know her. She's the well-heeled stranger from my homeschooling career. I nearly called her an ex-homeschooler, but last week I reminded everyone that homeschooling is always in the present tense. Although she now teaches at a grim public school, she is still a homeschooler at heart. Hence the wine and ice cream, happy reminders of the days when we treated ourselves for making it through another week with children as sole companions. Everyone and their dogs were at the store stocking up for the imminent ice storm, so I had to queue. My two items were happily sitting on the conveyor belt, waiting their turn, when the man behind me, who also had a couple of items, remarked, You must have had a really bad day. Wine and ice cream. I tried to do my stiff upper lip thing, you know, we're not amused look. He was a complete stranger, for goodness sake, passing a comment about my personal purchases. Doesn't that irritate you when the checker comments on all the items in your basket? That happened to me another time when I was buying. Oh, never mind. You don't want to hear that story, at least not today. But my stern look that evening failed me because all I could feel was a happy grin just begging to be allowed to break through because it was an intriguing purchase. Two items, wine and ice cream. Go figure. And he did. So I let my English reserve down, admitted it was funny and smiled. It felt so good. I glanced at his meagre purchases but couldn't think of a witty comeback. So I continued smiling to myself. Let him think what he wanted to think. I was amused. I shared the comment with my friend when I got to her house. And we enjoyed our meal with a glass of wine and the relaxing sweetness of salted caramel ice cream. Just for a change. Well, time to go to my book excerpt. My mother-in-law has some enlightening advice for me after eight years of watching from the sidelines. In warming up to flexibility, I begin the process of slaying some of the regimen instilled in me at a young age. My husband's mother once remarked to me, don't get yourself into a routine. It isn't good for you or the children. Be flexible. We were visiting East Texas for the weekend and our children were young enough for us to flaunt the fact to our disorganised peers at home in Garland, who never seemed to get into a routine or be on time for anything, that we did have a routine which we adhered to stickily and would fight tooth and nail to keep. I decided that she'd forgotten what it was like to have young people underfoot all day. Hubby, Larry and I exchanged smug looks and I settled back in my recliner to see exactly what she meant and whether she lived her life without the restrictions of a routine. I'm just going to the beauty shop, she drawled on her way out of the front door. Then I'm going to the grocery store. Make the children lunch at noon and then they can go down for their naps. Bye. She was gone. I laughed and pondered for an hour or two about what she'd meant by her routine warning and decided it was nothing more than mother-in-law law mixed with a slightly veiled observation to be careful lest I fall into the same routine trap she was in because of the demands of work and other country club activities visited upon her and her spouse on their golf course dwelling. I've known her 17 years and can recite her Friday routine verbatim. After her rendezvous with the hairdresser, she spends an hour at the grocery store purchasing from memory the foodstuffs she and her husband consume each week. When she returns home laden with precisely 
half a dozen brown paper, never plastic sacks. She proceeds to make a bologna sandwich, which she halves, to share six Pringles, a pickle, and a diet Pepsi. In the evening at about five, she pours glasses of ginger ale for the two of them, which they drink while watching the news. Then they have dinner on trays on their laps, and after she loads the dishwasher and starts it... They eat an ice cream on a stick and participate in a competition to see who can fold the wrapper into the smallest and neatest package. We all have routines, whether we want them or not. Larry and I liked our routine. We found nothing wrong with it in the right place. Eight years have passed since making the auspicious decision to homeschool our children and throw all convention to the dogs. With unemployment besetting us once again and without restraints of office hours, we cunningly blended the worst and best of rigid routines and flexible schedules into our smoothie of parenting. Our homeschool visibly conformed to traditional school hours while we were in session. We started school later in the year, preferring to wait until after Labor Day because of our busy theatre schedule during the summer. When the prices went down, we'd take a post-season visit to the beach, usually Galveston, but once an all-inclusive trip to Cancun, thus enjoying a quieter and generally older holiday crowd. We took longer breaks, but counted all our volunteer hours and work around the house as enrichment lessons and were able to finish school somewhere towards the middle of May. Our trips outside to stores, malls and parks at all times of the day were greatly aided by the advent of year-round public school. Our children were not so obviously playing hooky when there were significantly large numbers of children regularly out of traditional school when they typically should have been safely locked up in their classrooms. This mild flexibility was countered by my tabulation of an almost obsessive record of every hour I kept my children's noses to the grindstone. They had a page neatly divided into six columns, the weekends were combined, recording the weekdays. Vertically were listed every subject and activity that could possibly pertain to education. Into each box they had to place a check mark, which denoted that they had spent the appropriate amount of predetermined time on that subject, at least 30 minutes. At the end of each week, I'd tally up each column and keep a running total that would carry over into six-week segments. These would then group into semesters and then be recorded as end-of-year results in an annual recap I kept diligently. These were filed along with their book lists in a binder that I have instant access to should an authority come to my door to demand evidence of learning taking place. Asked to see them any time. These painstaking records kept me informed as to exactly how many hours each day each child, excuse me, actually spent in school, whether they realised it or not. When we were doing a show at the theatre, the hours added up into days and we'd spend end the year with a staggering number of weeks under our belts. I carried the message of routines to all who had listened to me. I was a routine evangelist who believed that not only children but parents could benefit from a good and solid routine. They take a lot of work, but they can also be flexible, if that makes sense. Now in our eighth year, we still manage to hold on firmly to the morning ritual, despite the fact that we have a college student in our midst. Our established habit of saying family prayers around the breakfast table meant that now we had to do so at an earlier hour to accommodate our college students' hours. These, of course, changed by semester, but for the most part, college classes were taken two days a week, and usually early in the morning, to keep the well-formed habit of getting started at the crack of dawn so that we could finish early. 
In order to continue eating our meals together, we adopted a lunchtime pattern that suited us five times a week and took only two meals in the evenings. We still managed to complete most of our studies in the morning with extracurricular activities like bike rides, art and science co-op tackled in the afternoons. Now we had to start entertaining the possibility that flexibility may supersede our routine and we'd have to find a place for it within our structured school. We approached this cautiously, understandably worried that once the reins of routine were loosened, we could flounder as a place of learning. And I have to go on a short break, but join me after these few messages um, for a very interesting guest who has a completely different perspective on homeschooling. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Mind Matters is the show that dares to ask what's on your mind. Take this opportunity to join Dr. Larry Ross, clinical psychologist and Joan Duhane, licensed clinical social worker, as they combined have over 50 years of experience in dealing with your mind. Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, only on Toginet Radio. Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, I'm back, and my guest this week is Jennifer Sakey, who homeschools her three children in Reno, Nevada, sometimes from her bed. We're going to talk about how she copes with chronic illness and pain as we learn about yet another good reason to homeschool. Good afternoon, Jennifer, and thanks for joining me. Hi, Vivian. Thanks for having me. Well, how are you today? Um, it's been kind of an up and down day, but that's pretty much our normal. So, all right, <laughs> pretty well, good. Okay. Well, before we get started, um, I just want to um, ask you just a few background questions so we can bring our kind of listeners up to a little bit of speed on you. So um, can you tell us a little bit about how you yourself were homeschooled or homeschooled or how that worked? Sure. Um, I kind of had a similar background to yours. I've, I've read about your different moves and living multiple places. And we did similar things, except most of my um, growing up moving was through Asia, 
And when we were overseas, the options were to either attend the DOD schools, Department of Defense, um, which is like a military equivalent of public school, mm-hmm. or to attend the local um, language, you know, Japanese-speaking schools. And I knew no Japanese, so that would have mm-hmm. been very diff- difficult, or to homeschool. So it was rather a renegade m- move that my parents took at the time because homeschooling was not seen as a real viable option in in my generation, mm-hmm. um, but my parents chose to homeschool me for a couple of years overseas, and I loved it so much that even after we came back to the States and I was put in public schools for three years, I begged and begged and begged my parents, please homeschool me again. Mm-hmm. And when we hit high school, which is where many homeschoolers look at backing out of homeschooling and maybe going into a, a different, um, more traditional school setting, that's when my parents pulled me out of traditional schools, and I homeschooled all four years of high school. So um, what curriculum did you use when you were abroad? Was What kind of curriculum was around when you were in Japan? We used um, the ACE curriculum, the Accelerated Christian Education. Okay. There, was, there was a missionary variation on that called MACE, and that's what we used when we were overseas. And then when you came back to America, what did your parents use? Um, we had kind of a unique homeschooling situation. We homeschooled under the umbrella of a local Christian school at, mm-hmm. at the time because that was our option mm-hmm. if we wanted to homeschool. So the first year we used exactly the same curriculum that the freshmen in that high school were using. And after that we kind of expanded a little more and got more comfortable with what we were doing, my mom and I and my dad also as a team, and we would attend homeschooling conferences and actually hand-select each individual curriculum. So I used a very eclectic mix depending on um, what my specific learning needs and interests were. And did I you got have to actually help. Um, you- I have one older brother. He had already graduated by high school by the time I re-entered homeschooling in high school. So Okay. Did he experience any other homeschooling apart from the homeschooling in Japan? Um, just the two years when we were in Japan. Yeah, yeah. Well, funny enough, I was abroad, but the option of boarding school was about the only option. We could go to the local schools, but there was a lot of peer pressure for us uh-huh. to go to um, boarding school and, of course, begged my parents, please, please let me go. Everybody else is doing it. <laughs> so they did. And quite honestly, it was horrible. I didn't like it at all, oh. but I stayed there for like eight or nine years or whatever because they really, mm-hmm. once we'd made the decision, there really wasn't much choice. But homeschooling never once came up, so Interesting. unfortunately. Um, so obviously you loved homeschooling so much that you decided to homeschool your own children. And quickly before we get into that, how many children do you have and what are their ages? We do have three living children. We They are after a long infertility battle, so we also lost some children along the way. But they are 11, 8, and 5. All just had birthdays, so I had to mentally adjust there. <laughs> um, and we, we actually did not set out deciding we would be homeschoolers because I had homeschooled. It was one of the options on the table for us. And we kind of fell into homeschooling by God accident because when our 4-year-old... Um, our first child was was four. He was devastated the first day. His neighbors all got on the school bus and rode off to school, and he was the youngest and left behind. And so in order to kind of help him through that transition, we started homeschooling, quote-unquote, just to, to ease him, you know, that he had a school day to go to, too. And it worked so well that my four-year-old was meeting his daddy at the door reading him stories, and we thought, well, maybe there's a reason we should keep down this path, and we've never looked back since. So. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really interesting story, actually, because um, 
my kids loved the school bus. I think that's the only part about school that they really, <laughs> really, really wanted to do. And of course, one, my oldest, my two oldest boys got to ride on a school bus, but my two girls never did. And they uh-huh. feel as though they have been completely deprived. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it really so- not that big of a tragedy if you've had that background. <laughs> I know, I know. My eight-year-old um, wanted to, to visit a school. She didn't want to go to a public school or any any kind of school. She loves being homeschooled, but she wanted a field trip of one day to go attend a public school just so she could see what happened. Mm-hmm. And we were able to arrange that, and that satisfied her. She now know was knows what it looks like. The mystery has been removed, and now she's totally happy. She doesn't have any desire to go there, <laughs> but she got to do it for one day just to see what would happen. <laughs> yeah, they just like to see what's going on that they're not doing, don't they? Um, I've spoken to mothers who homeschool their children because of illness and disabilities that would make right. their child's presence in a traditional school classroom difficult, but you uh-huh. have a different perspective as to why you and your husband feel homeschooling is the best choice for you. Can you tell us about this? Absolutely. I was actually a little bit on that side of the coin, too. We didn't realize at the time, um, as I was going into high school, all through junior high, I had been perpetually sick and out of school so much that... um, my my parents had to get letters from the doctor to bring to the truancy boards because I would miss more than the allowable days. And once I hit homeschooling as as a high schooler and could do my studies at home, I got sick much more, much less often, which was a wonderful advantage to homeschooling. And then when I went off to college, I'd been at college a month, and I became extraordinarily ill, and that led to being bedridden for nearly two years. And what What's happening is I have a retrovirus called XMRV. It's only newly identified about a year and a half ago um, by science um, that this exists. And it is, it is a retrovirus is a family that HIV comes from. There are only three known human retroviruses, mm-hmm. HIV being one of them. Another one um, isn't even seen much in North America, and it leads to a certain form of leukemia. And now... Um, XMRV has been linked to a lot of autoimmune and neuroimmune illnesses, such as what I had labeled as chronic fatigue syndrome for the past 20 years. Mm-hmm. So um, as a homeschooler, I probably was already dealing with that retrovirus, but because I homeschooled in high school, it helped kind of insulate me from all the ongoing stresses of, for my system that would flare that up. Now, as a parent of children, um, I still have to be very careful with my immune system that I'm not as exposed to every little cold and flu that comes along, which my children would be bringing home. Mm -hmm. So one of the reasons we care to keep them home is just that they're not bringing so many germs into our house from being out there in the world, because if Mm -hmm. I get a cold, it could put me in the hospital or or potentially even worse. So Mm -hmm. um, part of it is for my protection. And... um, until science plays out more and we know more about their immune systems and so forth, um, we really don't know what they might be dealing with long-term, so we we think it's wise for their sake also. And also, I just don't have it in me to get up every morning and do the whole lunchbox and, and brush you know brush chairs and get everybody dressed and rushed and out the door to the, the school bus or drive them to school and pick them up um, at the end of the day. I would rather give my energy spending time with them, quality time, while I have my best hours to parent, not waiting till I get their scraps at the end of the day when they come home and are loaded down with someone else's homework, and then I need to parent on someone else's schedule. Hmm. 
Yeah, that's quite a story, and um, that is a. <laughs> I've never thought that that would be a reason for homeschooling because I, as I said, <laughs> you know, you look at people who've got children who've got chronic illnesses, but you just don't think of a mum that might have a chronic illness, and that's a reason for homeschooling. And um, how frightening! Um, so, as a virus, really. What you can't take any medication except, you know, if you have a cold or whatever, you just, you know, would take that kind of medication. Is that right? It's, it's very much still an unfolding science, so there are a whole lot more unknowns than there are known. So there really aren't many medical answers right now other than I finally have a reason behind why I have been so sick for 20 years, where I've, I've been primarily housebound, sometimes completely bedridden for months or years at a time. Um, when I do leave the house, it's typically in a wheelchair just because I can't I can't walk far enough to get from my house to the mailbox mm-hmm. without just physically collapsing from the energy expense. Mm-hmm. So everything we have to, we do, we have to make very conscious choices on energy expense and, and time investment and where we're putting our, our efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, so how would you describe the um, kind of homeschooling that you do? Would you describe it as unschooling, <laughs> highly structured, structured or self-driven? We, we actually have selected a homeschooling curriculum that's a packaged curriculum. Um, the one we are using is My Father's World. There are many wonderful ones out there. That's just what fits our family. And I like it because it's flexible enough that we can have down days and we can, you know, work it around my needs or even the kids' needs um, physically, you know, health-wise. Um, but it's got enough structure to it that I can sit down, I can open a, a lesson plan book and say, okay, today the plans are, the goals to get through are, and have it laid out for me without me feeling like I'm needing to put it together, not being concerned of are we covering everything. Um, so that's, we've kind of chosen what I feel is a middle ground where we're structured, but not so much so that it can't be flexible around our family's needs. And so does everything arrive um, sort of in a box? I mean, do you get all the books that you need or do you still have to go out and buy supplies? Um, we do it through the internet or order online and okay. it's it's a comprehensive kind of a unit studies approach. So it most, you know, our science and our language skills and, and so forth are all very, um, history are all very much integrated. So I love that approach that you can just kind of tackle everything around one, you know, where we're at in history and the science that ties into that and so forth. For those of you just joining us, I'm talking to Jennifer Seiki, who homeschools her three children. She also homeschooled herself or was homeschooled through high school. And the phrase social isolation makes her laugh out loud. (laughs) She was crowned homecoming queen at her local private school where she attended only one extracurricular class. Jennifer uh, is the author of Hannah's Hope, Seeking God's Heart in the Midst of Infertility, Miscarriage and Adoption Loss. And she also has a blog spot called infertility mum we're talking about how she deals with xmrv associated neuroimmune disease and why homeschooling was the best choice for her family we're going on a short break now so come back to our conversation after these few messages and um, jennifer i'm just going to give um, a website www.infertilitymum.blogspot.com if you want to pop online and find out more about jennifer
How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Was sad because right. he had a death kill mommy and dad. Right. But that ain't the case. Nope. It wasn't his fate. No, nope. the wasp never struggled to communicate. Mm-hmm. Y'all wave your hands. Look who's on. Now it's the man Keith and he's number one. It's that Keith Wine Show on Toginet.com, Wednesday nights at 8, 7 Central. Every week, that Keith Wine Show will have guests that share their experiences, expertise, opinions, and personal lives with us to hopefully help us better understand others. The topics and guests will come from the American Sign Language community. For more on Keith Wine and the show, go to his website, KeithWannWann.com. Listen with an open mind and willingness to learn and help with the cultural bridge. Number, number one, Keith's number one. Everybody back don't miss that keith wine show wednesday nights at 8 7 central on toginet.com christian work at home moms here is your own show on toginet it's CWAM, Christian Work at Home Moms, with Jill Hart and Diana Innan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Central on Toginet. Um, I'd love to share with you just a little bit about how CWAM can help you, whether you are new to the work at home world and just starting out your search, or whether you've been working at home for a while and are looking to grow your business. Jill Hart is the founder of Christian Work at Home Moms, CWAM.com, and co-author of So You Want to Be a Work at Home Mom. Jill has worked from home from 2000 and started her home-based business to assist other Christians who desire to work from home while maintaining a godly life. And Diana Ennett with virtualwordpublishing.com. I really, truly want to see you succeed, want to share the joy that I have in being home with my kids and being able to build my own business. And she's ready to help you now. Christian Work at Home Moms with Jill Hart and Diana Ennett. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Central on Toginet. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Jennifer, so I mentioned Homecoming Queen and you laughed, so go ahead and tell us your story about Homecoming Queen. Well, as I mentioned, we did homeschool under the umbrella of a local school um, when I was in high school, and so I was involved in the, on the campus as much as I could be. I went up um, my freshman year, I entered their science fair and ended up going to second place in state. Um, from that sense fair, and my project had to do with evaluating learning styles in kindergartners, and so I worked my way into the kindergarten class there um, for research, and then ended up being asked to stay on as a teacher's aide. So I I was a presence at the school quite frequently throughout high school, even though I wasn't enrolled in any classes there until one extracurricular class my senior year. Um, But I ended up becoming part of the student leadership team there on campus and um, just really investing in relationships with other students. And when homecoming came around my senior year, I was quite thrilled and surprised to be nominated and then um, selected as the high school's homeschool or homecoming queen, even though I was a homeschool student, so it was a very unique situation. <laughs> and so you just kind of um, laugh at people that say, "Oh, what about socialization with homeschoolers?" <laughs> I was 
I was too busy to attend school when I was in high school. Yeah. I just, you, you are so, so, there are so many opportunities for socializing in real world settings rather than in the artificial confines of age and grade designations. Mm-hmm. The, um, the, the, High school staff there would would meet with my parents for um, evaluation meetings a couple times a year, and one of the comments that was made is that they they just couldn't believe how well I could relate to anyone of any age, whether it would be the kindergarten classes, my own peers, or anyone in the adult, you know, the teachers and and the administration staff of the school. That I saw everyone as a peer because I wasn't needing to be artificially socialized, which is what the the traditional school system tends to do. And I'm seeing that in my own children. They are perfectly comfortable. Um, my my 8-year-old, my 11-year-old will walk up to any adult and hold a very intelligent, detailed, scientific conversation with them without any intimidation because those are their peers as far as they're concerned. And yet mm-hmm. they're very happy to play with the 2- and 3-year-olds in you know, at Sunday school nursery. So um, they just... They, socialization is the most ridiculous reason to avoid homeschooling I can possibly imagine because I believe homeschooled children are typically much better socialized than their their schooled um, traditionally peers. So yeah, that's, that's laughable. <laughs> I agree with you. Um, Well, some people are skeptical. You've written about whether this is the right choice for your children with your chronic illness. Can you really give them the education they could get in traditional school? How do you respond to these questions? Well, we um, choose to homeschool for many reasons, one being we want to have a hand in the selection of what our children are being taught. And I feel that what we have selected to teach them gives them a better grounding, a, a more firm foundation in the, value, the core values we hold as a family and what we believe they need educationally for their future than what they would be receiving in a traditional school setting where they're one of 20 or 30 or sometimes 40 children in a class, child, children in a classroom and their teachers don't know them personally and can't give them that one-on-one or one-on-three that I've got attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so to me, being able to, to have a hand, well, the, the primary decision in what my children are learning makes the quality of education they are receiving much better than a cookie cutter that they get out of a box from from a standard school situation. But don't and you find it extraordinary to... that people feel it's okay to ask those kinds of personal questions? <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends how vulnerable I'm willing to be. And one thing that I found is very important as a chronically ill woman is people are going to ask more questions the more secretive I am. Mm-hmm. And they may not agree with me if I'm an open book and just say, here's the way it is. But if I'm willing to put myself out there and be vulnerable, I may get hurt. Mm-hmm. But overall, people are going to be more understanding and and come to see, yes, we do have a plan and a purpose here, and we, we are doing an efficient job. So yeah. Yeah. that's yeah. the challenge I have to give myself, to, to be mm-hmm. willing to be hurt by those comments but mm-hmm. hopefully educate along the way, too. Oh, absolutely. Um, tell us now about your book. I don't know how you have the time to write a book, but you're amazing. So <laughs> tell us about your book, no. Anna's Hope, and how you came to write it. Um, well, like I said, our children came after an infertility journey, and um, it was a very, very devastating time in my life when we, 
took us seven years to have our first living son. Um, we lost 10 children through miscarriages and failed adoption attempts along the way. And um, we just, we never knew if we would have a child. So in that process, um, it was a very, very hurtful time for me. And God had to grow me a lot and teach me a lot about trusting in him for any circumstances. And, of course, we are so thankful for our three children. But they are only part of the miracle that came from that story of God really changing my heart to, to be willing to trust him in all circumstances. And so from that, um, one one biblical character that had really first challenged me and even made me angry by her story and eventually become a great became a great comfort to me was Hannah's story that's found in First Samuel chapters one and two. So I basically just unfolded her story for other women going through infertility and pregnancy loss and how God the things God taught me through that experience. So um, that is the book Hannah's Hope, which was published in 2005, and I'm currently writing a second book right now on the life of Paul, um, based on the passages that talks about um, Paul saying, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, and um, three times I begged God to remove it, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. So I'm now kind of walking through and unpacking Paul's story and how God's teaching me those lessons in the midst of chronic illness. And so you've got bouts of um, not being able to get up and out of your bed. Are these um, sort of followed by bouts of not being able to sleep so that you can write these books? How do you find time <laughs> to do this? <laughs> I always, my, my husband has blessed me with a laptop computer, which is a huge, huge answer to prayer. And it sits right next to my bed on a chair that's just um, kind of a higher chair right within arm's reach. And I write it in little you know, two and three minute bursts of of ideas. I grab the computer and throw something else into the the book outline, and eventually, my books take ten years a piece to write. It's, mm-hmm. it's a very long, drawn out process, but eventually, there's enough there to put together as a manuscript. So that's that's how that happens. <laughs> wow! And you also, it's not doesn't end there. You have several blogs, don't you? Can you talk about some of your blogs? I do. I have um, kind of my everything blog you've already mentioned. That's infertilitymom.blogspot, and that covers everything from my reflections on my infertility and loss journey to now being an after-infertility mom and living with chronic illness and being a mom with chronic illness and writing, working from home, juggling all the doctors and medical stuff of an unfolding medical story, um, and just kind of whatever thoughts I've got going on in my head, that that all appears there. But then I also... um, on the side, sell mineral makeup as a little um, side income, but I didn't want to just be another sales blog, so I decided I was going to use that to talk about the characteristics of inner beauty. So I have an entire blog that basically talks about developing um, character traits of you know a quiet and gentle spirit and, and what inner beauty means. And then I throw in some fun, um, healthy, affordable beauty tips there, like um, that you can soak your feet in pickle juice for... Um, you know, a, a way to, to soften your skin and just fun stuff like that. So that one's there. I've got one called Harvesting Hope from Heartache. It's just Harvesting um, Harvesting Hope from Heartache is kind of a, everything out there when I find resources for someone struggling through cancer or through divorce or through um, 
you know, job loss or anything, I put those resources on that blog. And then I have a blog for the Hannah's Hope book um, for infertility and pregnancy loss resources and adoption resources. And then the book in progress, I have a blog called Given Me a Thorn, that blog spot. And that is anything to do with living with chronic pain and illness. Mm-hmm. So the infertility mom will have all kinds of tips today and links on um, homeschooling with chronic illness, since that's what I'm talking about today. And then you'll also find that on the Given Me a Thorn blog spot, a link over to there, because it has to do with the same topic. So, Okay, so there are people out there that think that um, homeschooling, you know, takes up your whole life and you completely have dedicated everything. It's completely selfless, which, of course, it is. But um, there's time. I, I, I've spoken to many women who manage also to carve their own personal bits of creativity around or within um, the homeschooling themselves. They can't, they don't actually lose themselves. And I think it's trying to get that message across that when you homeschool, you can still be you. You're not always just your children's mum, which is an important thing to be. But you're you, you know, your unique you too, you know, so you don't lose yourself. Yeah. You're a better you and you're a better mom and you're a better teacher when you allow yourself to stay stay immersed in things that grow you and fascinate you, too. If you become so centered only on your children that you lose you in the process, Mm -hmm. what do you have left to give to them? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, real quick here. We have about a minute. Um, What about the future? As your children get older, will they be more self-directing? Do you think they'll be able to, you know, sort of take over their homeschooling and allow you to do more writing or how do you how are you seeing that absolutely my my sixth grader is already very self-directed and he even helps me fill in the days he knows how to read my lesson plans and help the younger ones move forward when i'm having a bad day so he is already making huge strides and his high school program presuming we stay with homeschooling through high school which we take year by year but probably will is designated to be a self-directed program with a once a week parent conference so that's our plans at this point for him well, thank you so much, Jennifer. Um, I've been talking to Jennifer Sakey from Nevada. Jennifer often describes her lifestyle as bed schooling rather than homeschooling. <laughs> and we talked about her unique perspective on educating her children at home as a chronically ill mum. Go to her blog, Infertility Mum dot blogspot.com and you'll find all kinds of links to her other blogs and learn more about her business her books and her spirit have a wonderful weekend jennifer thanks so much for me for joining me this afternoon thank you vivian it's been a joy thank you bye and um, i'll be back in a moment after these messages so don't go away How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pinrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Penrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a six-year-old recovering from autism for this inspirational hour of hope. 
She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to her website, shannonpenrod.com. From there, you can also get to her other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community. So tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Come Learn With Me is the show created as much for the host as the audience. Join host Danny Walker Wednesdays at 11, noon central on Toginet.com as she invites you to get your boots on and walk through life's triumphs and troubles with her. Come Learn With Me is the beginning of a movement, a community filled with caring people who share information, allowing everyone to participate, gain, and grow. What works? What doesn't? Your host, Danny Walker, is a self-proclaimed student, not expert, and she'll share very candidly passions, perspectives, failures, her family's battle with illness, her restaurant inspirations to keep being a wife, parent, and more, all the while including industry experts, disease survivors, and guests to add to the mix. For more on Danny and her show, go to dannywalker.com, D-A-N-I walker.com. If you've ever searched high and low to find answers to sickness, disease, and debt, come learn with me and let's get our questions answered together. Come learn with me with host Danny Walker, Wednesdays at 11, noon central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. So in case you didn't know, it's Valentine's Day on Monday. And really, that's a naff day to have Valentine's Day. So we're going to celebrate probably over the weekend. But in honor of that lovely heart day, I'm going to tell you the story behind my husband's belief in love at first sight. I went to college and was awarded my degree, but I just couldn't settle down to teaching. It was something to do with children. And this is doubly funny because I ended up homeschooling my own children. And whenever I admitted to having a degree in education and child psychology, my interrogator's shoulders visibly relaxed and they nodded their heads in approval. I was qualified, but was I attituded? I love making up these words. So... Having just graduated and made my startling discovery, there I was, young, jobless, and degreeful in London. I was overqualified for lots of jobs, especially the ones I'd always gone after while on holiday from school or university. So no one would employ me at my, my old haunts, the bookies' office, the local coffee shop, or the department store in Knightsbridge. Even the daycare related to the one good princess Di worked in turned me down. Perhaps my old haunts thought I'd get too big for my britches and start demanding power, position and pounds, English currency. They didn't seem to understand I had to pay my rent and feed myself and cough up fare each week for buses. Finally, I went through my address book, a precursor to Facebook, and came up with the name of a girl I'd worked with before in Guernsey. She was currently managing a Godfrey Davis Europe car over at Victoria Station. I went and paid her a visit, disregarding the telephone. She'd never remember who I was by my voice, but she definitely recognised my face. I was right. She was delighted to see me and ignored all my overqualifications and letters of recommendation in favour of a hearty slap on the back and an urgent question. How soon can you start? 
I was in my orange pencil skirt and fitted jacket in no time, and she trained me live for the rest of the shift. And that was how I was in the right place at the right time several months later for that fateful Cupidian incident when one of my customers was fatally struck by love at first sight. Not to be big-headed or anything, but the uniform was an attractive piece of work designed by a man for his sore eyes to behold. The mandatory nylons and high heels baked for makeup and a good cut, and voila, a well-groomed young woman emerged to preside over the counters of the busiest hire car company in London. I'll credit my education for enabling me to become a pure whiz at filling out the contracts and dispensing cars, hundreds of them a week. I'm sure lots of people fell in love at first sight with all four of us on my shift, but only one admitted to it. We worked four 12-hour days in exchange for a salary and four days off in a row. This snappy little schedule allowed us to get several whole weekends off every few weeks. We could also take one shift off and get 12 days off, so mini holidays and escapes to Europe were not uncommon, and we were an inseparable group. Our main entranceway teemed with eager Americans from 8am to 8pm every day. Tourists keen on taking to the highways and byways on the wrong side of the road. There is no pre-assigned day on which holidays have to start. We were awarded no relief until the locking of the lobby door at the end of the business day. One particular day stands out in my memory. Coincidentally, it was the day of the Cupidian incident, but I didn't know this at the time. We were in the last hours of the four-day shift, and I was running on automatic, aided by the adrenaline surge I was experiencing each time I pictured myself in the studios of Pineapple or on the beach in Brighton for the next four days. A handsome young fellow, they were all handsome young fellows, managed to stand out in the sea of American handsomeness by sporting a rather loud shirt. Hawaiian, I'm told. I paid him scant attention. I really couldn't afford a headache this late into my shift. He handed over his credit card and I began the transaction. I mildly observed his name, John Osborne. Famous playwright, but not American, so not the John Osborne. His occupation, tour manager. Huh. Length of hire, three months. What? Unasked, he explained. We're recording an album in the country. It'll take that long. I added artist to occupation. Turned the contract round for signatures, ran the card and went for the car keys. It was the end of the afternoon and we were short of vehicles. Well, we were short of the most common size of vehicle. Those in the C group with four doors, roof rack, automatic, preferably with left-hand drive. Just kidding. I looked up into the depths of the sun, dark sunglasses, gave the bright shirt a once-over and went to find my boss. Her suggestion ruined my day. No, it didn't. This was my last day before four glorious, blissful, Americanless days off. But have you seen the man? I whispered urgently. He's all sunglasses and Hawaiian shirt. Plus, he's some kind of musician and is hiring the car for three months. Good, my boss said, and handed me the keys to a Series 7 black BMW. If I'd known then what I know now, I'd have said that lucky American had just had his car supersized. The ultimate driving machine pulled up without a sound, and I escorted Johnny Boy to the garage to get the lowdown on how to operate the controls. Two weeks later, the black BMW was back to be washed. It was a quiet Sunday afternoon. All right, sometimes we luck out on the shifts. And when I saw the car, I thought, Really? Then thought nothing more of it. Then the phone on my desk was ringing. It was John Osborne of the ill-based Beamer, and he asked me to go out to dinner with him. I was hungry, and I saw an opportunity to ride in the beautiful black car, so I said, Oh, yes, please, when? And he said, How about next Tuesday? 
one of my days off. How did he know? He arrived at my flat in a taxi. It turned out the hired car was for his boss, the infamous John Ozzy Osborne. Yikes. Worse and worse. Shoot, I said. I thought you were Ozzy, but then he's English, isn't he? Not American. Then who are you? He took off his sunglasses and looked at me with those blue eyes, and I knew Cupid's arrow had gone deep. It was love at first sight, he said. My blue-eyed cowboy. Well... I want to welcome Sandy Fowler back to my show this week. Sandy is a wife, mother, and business owner who's done it all from working for a Fortune 500 company to living overseas and homeschooling her family. She's also the creator of the Heartfield Holiday, and she's here to tell us about her latest venture. Hello, Sandy. Hello, Vivian. It is wonderful to be back on your show with you. Thank you for inviting me. Well, tell us what's happened since we first spoke last Thanksgiving. Well, what's happened is there was a little bird who put an idea in my head to start my own radio show, and that would have to be you, Vivian, wouldn't it? Yes, yes. <laughs> and I I spent some time looking at that possibility and decided that it would be a great addition to everything else that was going on and really fit in well and support my followers in the Heartfield Holidays Project. So this Monday, Valentine's Day, which is very appropriate for our holidays, we are launching our show. It will be uh, noon Eastern Standard Time or in, for your time zone in Central Standard, it'll be eleven o'clock in the morning on Monday, and I'm very excited about it. All right. So, what kind of things are you going to be talking about on your show? Ah, uh, that's where the that's where the fun starts. Because that's one thing is I do I want to have fun, and you know we'll talk about some of the normal tips and ideas for holidays, food decoration, things like that. But what I really want to get to is. The things that sabotage our holidays. And so what I'm doing is I'm lining up a combination of experts and people who have changed their holidays as things have changed in their life. And we're going to get into those issues, all the things that cause us stress or just make things difficult. And we're going to pick those apart and find some simple solutions for them. So you're starting with Valentine's Day. So you've got you've got a, an expert or somebody, your guest, coming on Valentine's Day. Who is your guest? I do have a great expert for that holiday. It is Lisa Geruzzi, and she is a communications expert. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about Valentine's, and we're talking then about relationships, mm-hmm. whether it's our romantic relationships or anybody that we care about, mm-hmm. Communication is important, and so on Valentine's Day, I think that's really appropriate, and it also carries over into the whole holiday celebration from a couple of standpoints. You know, from from one side, communication can make or break an event. If you have someone having an argument in the middle of your event, or if you're trying to have a conversation with a a friend or a family member and it's not going well, you're not going to enjoy that celebration and that holiday very much. Mm, That's right. In the, hmm? I was going to. I was going to ask you. You're going to be touching on any of this um, very modern communication that we do with uh, Facebook and email and texting, or is it all going to just be face-to-face verbal communication? In this show, we're going to be really focusing on that one-on-one 
personal, generally face-to-face communication because we want to get to the most important people in your life. Oh, right. Okay. So I do have a question that kind of um, hangs over from our conversation at Thanksgiving because you'd sent out those letters to your family members about what you were planning to do at Christmas. And how did Christmas go? Actually, yes, that worked beautifully. For any of your listeners who don't know, we had a kind of crazy year this year. And two years ago, my husband and my girls and I moved across state. We live in Michigan and we were on the eastern side of the state. We've moved to the western side, which has been an adjustment for us and our family members who live on the east side of the state. And this year, for the first time in my lifetime, we weren't going to be able to make it to my grandmother's Christmas. So instead of being there, what I did is before Thanksgiving, I sent Christmas cards to those family yeah. members, wishing them a Merry Christmas and letting them know that we were really looking forward to seeing them at Thanksgiving because we would not see them at Christmas. And it worked beautifully for mm-hmm. us. It did because everyone was prepared. So when we saw them at Thanksgiving, you know, we exchanged gifts with a couple of people. We made plans to see um, one of my uncles who actually lives fairly close to us now. We made plans to have dinner with him when we were coming home from my parents' house on another trip. It, it just smoothed the path. Well, Sandy, Sandy, I'm down to one minute. You know, this time goes quickly, so you will learn on Monday. So thanks for coming in, and everybody tune in on Monday, February 14th, Valentine's Day, for Sandy's debut show, 12 noon Eastern Time, 11 o'clock my time. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you, Vivian. You're welcome. Bye. Have a great weekend. Well, I've managed to rattle on for another whole hour, and it's time for me to bid you farewell for this week. We don't have anything on the calendar this weekend, but it is Valentine's Day, so perhaps a romantic dinner or two. And my jazzercise class is having Bring Your Sweetheart to class, so my sweetheart is also a really good sport. So I'm going to say thanks to my handsome husband, who believes in love at first sight, our four children, who are the result of that belief, the hardworking staff at Togginet Radio, my son Ian for the loan of his abode and working internet, my guest Jennifer Seiki and Sandy Fowler. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Togi.